This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. I want you to open that Bible to the book of Genesis. If you're visiting with us, I'll give you about a two-minute recap of where we're going so you will know. We are in the middle of looking and taking apart the book of Acts, going through the book of Acts to determine are we as a church today on track with what God originally intended the church to be. So we've been looking at a 2,000-year-old story about Jesus, and we call it History Come Home. The historical story of Jesus coming to home in our heart and home on the corner of what we call Believer's Church on this corner. And we've looked at two things to just kind of catch you up. For us to be successful as Christians, two things have to happen. It's a two-sided coin, a head and a tail. The head side is personal responsibility. Every person in here that claims to be a Christian, there's the organic side of your faith. And that's just you and Jesus and the Holy Ghost. But you have personal responsibility. You're only as free, this is just an opinion, but you're only as free to the level of responsibility that you will take as a Christian. A lot of people say, I'm free, I'm free in Jesus, I'm free, but they're really more bound because they never take responsibility for their personal life. It's really nobody else's job but your own to get with Jesus. But the other side of the coin, when we flip it, is we come over here to this thing that we call organized Christianity. It's what we would call local church. Some people call it religion. Uh, this thing of why do we come to the local church? Why do we gather every Sunday? And so we've been talking about both of them because we've determined this. If either side is unhealthy, the whole thing is unhealthy. If you have a church full of people like today, but the individuality of those people are fleshly, sinful, rude, and mean, it affects the whole thing. And we also know if we come over here and we try to gather together, we also, I think everybody in the room would say, especially if you've been around a while, we would all say this, that it's possible to gather together every week and be religious but have zero power. Just do religious things. Like we sang the songs but my life didn't change. We gave an offering but I'm still stingy. Uh, it was a great message, preacher. You stepped on my toes. My toes hurt, but it didn't change my heart. So it is possible that when you've done it all your life, and we've been doing it 2,000 years, and my perception is 2,000 years removed from day one of the church, we've kind of gotten askew, meaning that we have a lot of religious things that we're doing, but I wonder if God literally approves of it. But we approve of it because we've done it so long. So today we're going to have fun, and here's what I mean by that. We're going to stick on the organized church side, and we're going to dig it deep, all right? So we're not going to go shallow. We're going to dig it out deep, and I'm going to try to give you what I believe about organized church because I do it, right? Like I am a shepherd of an organized body of people called believers. But I often get from people, why should we have to come to church? Why can't I just stay home? Why can't I just love Jesus myself? Why can't I just go from one church to the other wherever God's moving and just float around and love the Lord on my own? 
I'm not against that. I don't think God is angry, but I don't think it's His will. And I want to show you what I believe about organized local church. Now, here's what we do know. If you're in this room, you already have a built-in perception about church. I go, I don't anymore because I'm trying to turn this body into something that's incredible. (laughs) Right now it's incredibly big, but I'm going for another word. I went to the gym the other day, and right when I walked in the door, the way he greets me every morning, what's up, big man? I'm like, man, I hate that. (laughs) But but a friend told me, he said, well, I guess it's better being called little man. I said, no, it's not. I would rather be four foot three and weigh 100 pounds. I don't know. But I go to the gym every week, and... And before I started deciding I need to get healthy on my birthday at 54, I would stop by Ingalls every morning and get muffins for the Lord. And, uh, and I only eat the tops, so if anybody likes the bottom, you can be blessed. I just eat the top of the muffin to tell myself it's healthier. So I only eat the top. I save the two bottoms for Stella because she just loves the bottom, so we're working together as a father and a daughter. I'm getting bigger. She's getting smaller. So every week I go in, I always pray, Lord, you know, I teach you how to use your 50 feet. So I'm always praying, God, how can I use my 50 feet? I always try to keep cash in my pocket of $5, $10, whatever. I try to keep something in my pocket because I pray every day, how can I bless somebody? So every day I try to put some kind of cash in my pocket. And I just walk around during the day and go, God, how can I bless people? And sometimes it's 5, sometimes 20, sometimes 100. Just whatever it is, I just try to do it. And so the girl that waits on me every week, you know, she, we kind of chat at the um, register. And I put my uh, muffins there, and I got cash back off my card. And so I took the cash, and she gave us, well, actually, the cash back is just for you today. And so I gave her the cash, and she did what, you know, any young girl, I think she's maybe 20, any young girl, oh, thank you, thank you so much. I can't believe you did that. I'm like, yeah, I can't either, but enjoy it. And uh, <laughs> So here you go. And, um, and so I gave her the money, and she goes, well, what do you do? I guess she thinks I'm really rich, you know. So I didn't want to tell her that, I, you know, I'm not that well off. I just have a good God that's really rich. And, uh, and so uh, I said, well, actually, and I always hate telling people what I do because the environment changes in the conversation real quickly. So I'm like, well, actually, I pastor a church. Oh, you do? And I said, yeah, I do. Well, where is it? I said, well, really, it's just like a half a mile down the road. It's right here. <gasps> that church is on the corner? And I said, yeah, the, the one on Pope. And, oh, you guys are building a new church. I go by there every single day, and it looks so beautiful. I said, well, actually, it is beautiful. She said, well, when are you getting in? I said, ha, we're already in. We just got in a few weeks ago. Oh, I'm so excited. Hey, as a matter of fact, I would love to just invite you to come because I would love you just to be a part of what we're doing. I said, a matter of fact, if you'll come, I'll treat you just like family. I'm never going to church. I don't do church. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm lying, you know. No, that's literally what she said. I'm not going to church. I don't do church. And I was like, oh, wow. And I was like, okay, good. Well, that's fine. Y'all, can I have my money back? You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but I walked out and I thought, well, bless her heart, 19 years old, something somewhere happened that she has no desire to come to church at all. Now, maybe she's been hurt. Maybe she went to church and she got her feelings hurt. 
Maybe she went to a place that was all about rules and religion and she realized real quickly, I can't live that. Maybe she never grew up in church. She only sees what she sees from other Christians and therefore she has perceptions that I don't want anything to do with it. but, But whatever it is, she has a perception that is skewed. Now here's the reality of that. You too have a perception of church. It either came from tradition meaning you grew up in a denomination and you go to church because that's just what you do. And you may be Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, but your perception of church is, I was raised, you always go, you go on Sunday. Mama said, I always went with grandmama. So there are the perceptions, I do church because that's just what you do. Then we have other people who, I've done church, but I'm never going back because they've been hurt or disillusioned. I just received a three-page email this week from a friend in Tennessee who after 20-plus years at a church that he's been highly involved in in the leadership left, and the reason he stepped away is because of the controlling abuse of the leadership. And he gave me a litany of things, and one of them was uh, you can't go to your grandmother's funeral because you have to come to church today. So we can agree with this, that churches, though we call ourselves church, we call ourselves organized religion, whether that's denominationalism, whether that's independent churches like ourselves, we do know that we can askew it. In other words, we can be highly religious but controlling, highly religious but no power, and then we just come because grandmama told us to come. Or I came today, I have no clue what church is. I just got invited by a friend. I don't really do church. Uh, I don't know, but hey, I'm here and, and I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm trying to understand, does God want me to be here? Because I don't know. And so here's what we do know. You could probably try, and I, I did it, right? When we did Saturday church, uh, it, it gave me Sunday off. So I got Sunday off. And so every Sunday, I would get up and go visit other churches, which I thought was interestingly fun. And here's what I know. Every church has something they're good at and something they're bad at. But they're doing the kingdom of God to the best of their ability. So I want to tell you I'm not against local church. I'm a believer in it. But now, over the next several minutes, if you don't mind, I want to dig it deep. In other words, I'm not going to shallow this thing up today. I want to stretch your brain to look at church maybe in a different way. Maybe you've never even been taught what I'm going to teach. So if you don't understand what I'm going to teach, I I go to eat Mexican with you. We call it salsa. So I'll go sit down in a salsa. We'll talk this thing out. But I want to share it with you of why I believe that you cannot just live an organic life of Christianity. You have to be part of a body. It is critical for your health. It is critical for your faith. And it's not, I want you to be part of a body so I can control you. I want you to be part of a body so that I can use you as pawns to tell other pastors how successful I am. I'm not trying to do that to you. I want to be a shepherd that helps you know more about God so you can become more free. Because my goal is your freedom. 
My goal is not to cause you to feel stuck here. My goal is to help you get where God wants you to be. Some of you may just check us out and leave. Some may stay a while and go other places. Some may stay till we're done. But either or, I don't take that personally. I just take it as in this journey of life, if you happen to step into the doors of this house, I want you to at least walk out going, dude, I learned something about my daddy and the Heavenly Father that I did not know before. Because my goal is not to grow a church. My goal is to grow you. All right. Now in that, the church may grow. Like we're already growing. We're adding people every week. But that's, I don't go home with that goal. I go home with, are you becoming a stronger Christian by what I said? So to understand it, we're in the book of Acts, and we're going to go to Acts 2 today. But Acts chapter 2, which is the beginning point of the church, it's, it's the birth, we would call it in theology, the birth of the local church is Acts 2. And now 2,000 years later, we're still doing church. But to understand why local church is important, you can't look at it based off your experience. Because to some of you, you'll say, my experience is great and you need to be there every week. Others of you say, well, you know, it's hit and miss. I'm always busy. I don't know. So here's what I'll say. You cannot define the purpose of local church off of our own perceptions, upbringing, or tradition. We will always, if we define church based on tradition or perception, we will always be skewed from the original intent of God. So to understand the original intent of God, I'm not going to start in Acts because that's the birth of the fruit. I'm going to go all the way back and start at the seed. Because the Bible says a seed will reproduce after its kind. If you plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree. You plant an orange seed, you get an orange tree. So here's what we know. Rather than starting in Acts 2 to look at the fruit of the church... I want to go back to Genesis 2 and look at the seed of the church. Because you got to know when God created the world, He already knew Acts 2 was coming. Now the people in Acts 2 didn't know it. They're in an upper room going, I don't know what's about to happen. But God's like, I knew what happened before I even built this thing called the planet. So let's go to Genesis 2 together and let's kind of pull it out. And let's see what is, to the best of our ability, the, what I will call the seed of God's church. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plant nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Let me throw this in in case you're asking, what in God's name are we going to Genesis to try to figure out the local church? Because the head of the church is Jesus, and Jesus' father is God the Father. So I want to go all the way back and find the DNA of Daddy. If I can understand the DNA of Daddy, I can know better, well, how the children ought to look. In other words, my daughter Victoria Kate plays the piano on Sunday mornings. If you wonder who she is, it's me with long hair. She often says, I'm a female you, Daddy. I got your forehead. And I go, honey, I am so sorry. I'm sorry. You know? 
And we often take twinsies, you know, we hashtag twinsies, and I'm the ugly one and she's the pretty one. But I guarantee you there's no doubt that when we walk into a room together, you're not going to go, oh, that's his kid. Why? Because she shares my DNA. She shares the fruit of mine and Robin's DNA. Same is true with God. Perhaps the reason we're so frustrated with local church and denominations today is they bear more the DNA of humans than spirit. And so we present our humanity to people and we just tag God as part of our humanity rather than going back and saying, no, if I'll go get the DNA of daddy and I'll insert the DNA and daddy into this thing called local church, then we will produce the right kind of fruit. And then people will walk into the door of Believer's Church and go, wow, you can feel like God's there. It's not because I'm so anointed. It's just because when you build it God's way, His DNA is in the room. I mean, I can have some good sermons and bad sermons. Don't judge me on that. But I do know good or bad, Daddy's in the house. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 6. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then verse 7, here's where it gets really fun. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And I want you to underline this. This is important. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. So here's here's the DNA of how God is doing creation. Now here's what you need to know. Why are we going this way? Because there's there's actually three creations in the Bible. There is the beginning creation in Genesis. Then there's the creation called the new creation in the New Testament, being born again. And then there's the third creation, which is the creation in the beginning of the church. In all three of those creations, the DNA of God will come out. Genesis 1 foreshadows John 1. Genesis 1 foreshadows Acts 1. Genesis 2 foreshadows John chapter 2. Genesis 2 foreshadows Acts chapter 2. Genesis 3, which is about sin and the sin of man, foreshadows John chapter 3, which is about the the Nicodemus being born again, which foreshadows Acts chapter 3. uh, Basically, Peter going, here's why Jesus died, you're all sinners. So it's put together in a pretty cool way. So Genesis, I don't know, I I feel like I'm going the wrong way, but I want to... Just stick on what i got to say. But but at the same time, I want to throw some nuggets to you to make you think. So I want you to underline the word breath of life and dirt. God doesn't mind humans being part of the system, but they need the spirit. If we focus more on the dirt than the spirit, you're never going to be happy. I'll go ahead and help you. It doesn't matter how godly we get, we're always dirt. And if you hang out with dirt long enough, you get dirty. That's why I always say we need the Holy Spirit because there's not a one of you in the room, including myself, that's good dirt. We're just dirt. But when you add the Holy Ghost, my dirt can become a masterpiece. So that's the way it works, right? So we see that in Genesis. You're going to see it in Acts 2 in a minute. Then the Lord God planted a garden. Everybody say planted. And he placed the man he had made into that place. Now here's what I know about God. God likes to take dirt, put his spirit on it, create a place, and then plant the man in the place. God is always a planting place God. He has never intended you to be a wandering vagabond. He he started creation with a place and a planting. This is where I'm headed with local church. 
Local church is to be the place and the planting of your life by God. You don't go to local church because mama said you go because, well, this is where God planted me. I am here because he planted me in this place called local church. Why did God place Adam in a garden? Because the father knows that the only way life works is to be planted where the presence of the Lord is. And the presence of the Lord was in the garden. So what we do know before Adam sins is that God breathed life into the dirt and then planted Adam in a place of his presence. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you've done church long enough, it is possible to go to a local church where a bunch of dirt is and wonder, is there anything here other than dirt? Because it just feels dead. But I have walked into some rooms that the moment I walked in, I'm like, my God, the presence of the Lord God is in the house. You can feel His presence. You can feel His glory. Dirt, everybody's still dirt. But there's a difference when you're planted where God wants you to be versus just wandering around looking for a feel-good home. And I'm not talking about church yet. I'm just talking about the garden. Now listen, because this, I hope this helps you for those of you that like to study deeper. Verse 9. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. Everybody said fruit. Why does God place you into planting? Because the desire is He wants your life fruitful. You cannot be fruitful wandering around from church to church. You cannot be fruitful when every time you get your feelings hurt, you leave. You cannot be fruitful when you're critical about God's people all the time. If you're going to sit there and look at the glory of His presence on you but point out somebody else's dirt, you need to grow up. We all have dirt. You can find dirt on me. But the beauty of coming together is to help each other produce more fruit. Here's what I know. All of us together can produce more fruit than all of us by ourselves. You may have $5 to give, you may have 4 you may have 9 you may have 2 you may have 6 But if we all pool it together, we've now got $20. We can do a lot more with that. It's the fruitfulness of coming together. So now here's what we know. God takes dirt, God puts His Spirit, God creates a place, God plants you in the place, and then expects fruitfulness. That's how He began the earth. Now here's where it gets fun. Verse 10. A river flowed from the land of Eden. What was the land of Eden? It was the garden God planted. Who is in the land of Eden? Adam and Eve are planted there by God. They've been placed in this location. I will just let you know the devil hates that. That's why in Genesis 3 you're going to find out the serpent came in as a subtle way. Why? Because I'm not only going to get you to disobey God. Watch, this is important, very important. He didn't just want to get Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. He wanted to cause Adam and Eve to lose their place. Because if they lose their place and they become dislocated and they become estranged from the presence of God, He knows that they will no longer be fruitful. I'm going to show you this in a minute. I'm going to show you how it all plays out. But listen to the rivers that flowed. I went and did a study. I'm not that brilliant, but I was smart enough to know how to study it out. And four rivers, one river flows out into four branches. Verse 11, the first branch is called Pishon. It flowed around the entire land of Havilah where gold is found. That name translated, Pishon, means increase. That's why it goes into the land of gold. 
In other words, if you'll just stay planted where God has you, you don't have to chase increase. You don't have to run around looking for your life to be blessed. If you'll just plant yourself where God wants you, increase just naturally flows out of your life. It's people running around trying to find increase that don't understand the way you increase is to plant. And when you plant yourself, there is increase. If you don't believe that scientific principle, go buy a fruit tree and every time it gets ready to produce fruit, dig it back up and take it across town and try to replant it and see how little that fruit will produce. The only way that tree produces a lot of fruit is it has to stay there generation after generation. And then it produces so much fruit, you got to have a ladder to climb up to it. Maybe the reason local churches are so fruitless today is because nobody wants to plant. We just want our emotions tickled. I don't want somebody to tell me to grow up and get my life in order. Thank you, preacher. They're having revival across town. I'm going to go where revival is. And then you go over here and you realize everybody there's got dirt. Thank you. You hurt my feelings and offended me. I'm going to go back over here and hang out with these people people because they showed me kindness and then you realize they have dirt you get your feelings hurt well I'm just going to come over here and just have church in my house that's what I'm going to do I'm just going to have me and God man me and the Lord you will never produce the kind of fruit God wants you to produce when you uproot yourself all the time so here, here's the other three, the other three rivers, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. I don't have time to go there, but for those of you that love deep study, every one of those rivers, uh, the, the, uh, the Gihon, the Tigris, Euphrates, the Gihon, uh, it, it means increase, the second one means overflow, the third one means rapid, and the fourth one means fruitfulness. So the four rivers coming out of planting are increase, overflow, rapid, and fruitful. What is the book of Acts chapter 2? The book of Acts chapter 2, and they were all in one place. A bunch of dirt, 120 dirt-filled people in a location where God said, Go there and wait on me. And they go into Acts 2, same as Genesis 2, except now in Acts 2, it's not creation. Now in Acts 2, it's new creation. And now in Genesis 2, it's spirit on dirt. In Acts 2, it's spirit on dirt. In Acts 2, it is a planting of fruitfulness in Genesis 2. In Acts 2, it is a planting in an upper room. In Genesis 2, it's God breathed his breath into their nostrils. In Acts chapter 2, he breathed his breath into the room. And it overcame them. In Genesis chapter 2, it's a river flowing out of them. In Acts 2, it's a river of living water flowing out of me. In Genesis chapter 2, it is a fruitful increase of rapid fruitfulness. In Acts chapter 2, one chapter later, it was an increase of active fruitfulness because 5,000 people were added. The devil hates it when you plant. He cannot stand it when you plant your life. Because when you plant your life, you will immediately begin to become fruitful. And so you got to be careful where you plant. If you plant in bad soil, you become a bad tree. So you need to pray hard about where God wants you to plant. You may have been raised in a nomination, but if God doesn't want you planted there, you might need to uproot and find where He wants me planted. And I'll just be kind to you. If you don't want to be planted here, tell me. I'll help you find that. 
You're not going to hurt my feelings if you go, man, believers ain't for me. I'll be like, good. I'm glad you're mature enough to know that. Let's help you find where you belong. I'm not going to put you down because you don't want to come here. I want to help you find the garden where God wants you to grow. And that may be crossroads, it may be Chapel Hill, it may be full turn. I don't care. Just put your feet in the dirt and produce fruit. And if everybody's producing fruit, the kingdom will grow. The kingdom of God will go forward. But here's where it gets fun. Because the devil knows that, that a piece of dirt with the breath of God planted in the place of God will produce an increase of rapid overflowing fruit. I'm stopping that. That will not happen. So Genesis chapter 3, without reading it, we know the end result is Adam and Eve disobeyed and they lost the place of their planting. Right? They get booted out. And God places a a cherubim with a sword around the Garden of Eden. Now Adam and Eve lost their place of His presence. If you go read the story, they literally got banned from the presence of God. Now what do they do? They do what every human does. We can recreate fruitfulness. How? Let's have Cain and Abel. So what they attempted to do after losing the fruitfulness of God by being planted is they just went in the tent hooked up with each other and produced flesh. Because here's what we do know about dirt. Dirt can always reproduce more dirt. You can have a church of 4,000 people and it'd be just dead or in a doornail. Because dirt reproduces dirt. But remember, God's not going after dirt. He's going after fruitfulness. And the lie, the lie that the devil does, especially for preachers, is the more people you have, the more fruitful you are. And the more people you have, you must be more anointed. And I'm telling you, it's just since I've been in, it's just like a constant competition of how many's in your church, how many's in your church. Oh man, God, I gotta have more because I feel so un, I feel so unsuccessful. I don't ever get invited to the conference to talk about church growth, and I believe I got some really good revelation on it because I only got 150 people. I don't get invited. I don't, I mean, I don't take that personally. I did years ago, but now when you're 54, you just go to Kroger. I mean, it's just no big deal. <laughs> I'd rather have church growth in a Kroger parking lot with somebody who didn't know God. But but Genesis chapter 3, the devil destroys it. If you don't believe that, go look at Acts chapter 3. What happens in Acts chapter 3? They start persecuting the church. I'll shut it down. We'll persecute them and kill them all. It It just follows suit. But here's what I want to really talk about because this is what I think is happening today in local church a lot of times. Because of a lack of the presence of God and a planting, Adam and Eve just produced their own fruit. And what is the fruit of Genesis 4? If you'll turn to Genesis 4, they produced the fruit of Cain and Abel. And the weird thing about producing the fruit of Cain and Abel is I want you to listen to what happens Genesis 4 verse 1, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I've produced a man. With God's help, I've just produced dirt. I think we can do that. We can produce dirt. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. While Cain cultivated the ground, 
when it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, these are the fruit of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground. In other words, now, just take this what it would be. Now, the dirt that you are won't even be fruitful. You ever met those people? They have nothing to do with God. They're going to try it themselves, but even in their own effort, they can't make headway. Broken marriage, broken life, debt, bitterness, hurt, shame. Because here's what we do know. When we're banished from the presence of God, we will do our best to produce our own dirt. But at the end of the day, dirt is dirt and you'll never be content. So listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 12. Now no longer will the ground yield good crops for you. Why? You've just lost your fruitfulness. No matter how hard you work, From now on, listen to what God says about Cain. You will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied, my punishment's too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord replied, no, for I will give sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. And the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. Cain left the Lord's presence. And settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Meaning I wasn't too far from God's original goal. But I'm just far enough that I'm no longer planted where he originally had me. I'm just a little east of it. I'm just a little bit away from the original planting of mom and dad where there was such fruitfulness. Now I've tried to do it on my own. And the end result of me... Now grab this because this is where I want to go. The end result of dirt trying to do it without the presence of God, the curse was homeless wandering. And what I find to be true in my own heart, I find a lot of times the curse of this generation is that Christians have been marked with God. We put a mark, I'm a Christian. Maybe we do it with a a, a band, WWJD, a t-shirt. We mark ourselves. I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Pentecostal, I'm non-denominational. We put a mark on our head. And we, we, we become very religious people. What we are over here now, we're supposed to be a group of people planted by God with His presence and being wildly, successfully, increasingly fruitful in all ways. But 2,000 years removed from the original story, we become nothing more than a display, an object lesson of Cain and Abel. Abel, we're holy, we talk about the blood, but we have no power. That's what God said. I hear his blood, but nothing could be done because there's no body. There's nothing happening. 
Do you understand if you're not careful, you'll sit around going, oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. But for blood to be effective, blood has to have a body. Abel, I hear his blood, but there's no body because you killed his body. There's a lot of Christians today wandering around, dead, lifeless, because they don't want to be part of a body. They just want to talk about what Jesus has done for me. Me and Jesus, man, his body, I don't know. Then guess what? You're just like Abel. You've been hurt. You've been abused. You've been done wrong. And now you just want to sit over here with you and the blood of Jesus because I don't trust being part of a body because I got hurt before. Or maybe you're like Cain. Maybe you bear the mark of a Christian. I know all the words to say. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. I give my Easter offering occasionally to keep God off my back. I go enough to ease my guilty conscience. But truly, Mark, I'm like Cain. I'm just a homeless wanderer. Let me ask you a question, Mom and Dad. If your kids lived a mile away from you, and they only came to see you on Easter, wouldn't you think something's up? If they lived a mile away, and they only came to see you on Easter Sunday morning, mother, wouldn't you think, I wonder why my kids don't come to see me more? We might need to go to counseling and figure this out. Wouldn't it hurt your feelings if your 12-year-old daughter only talked to you once a week for 20 minutes on Sunday morning, and then ignored you the rest of the week? Some of you are thinking that's all they do now. <laughs> but it would, it would bother me as a father if Stella only talked to me once a week for five minutes on a religious moment. It's a sign of an unhealthy family. But yet that's the way we do church today. I present to you that we do church not based on the plan of God's original intent of being planted and fruitful, but we do church based on the Genesis 4 4 model of Cain and Abel. A lot of talk about the blood, but I want nothing to do with the body. That's Abel. A lot of talk about my religiosity, but I just wander around homeless because I'm so free. Acts chapter 2 now. Are you learning something? And I'm not going to open it up for membership today, so feel free to relax. Hallelujah. (laughs) I want you to think I'm setting you up. But what I am setting you up for is Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, how many believers? All of them. All of them were meeting where? In one place. The very birth of creation. Here's here's creation, Genesis. Dirt, spirit, place, planted, fruitful. Here is Acts chapter 2. All the believers, dirt, in a place, the upper room, told to go there by Jesus Christ. That means they've been planted. The breath comes and they become fruitful. As soon as that happens, I am 100% convinced the devil's like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Been there, done that. I know exactly what to do. And what did he do? He tried to persecute them from exterior. Kill them, murder them, burn them, hang them, chop their head off. But every time the devil tried, watch now, every time the devil tried to do what he did before, 
which is get into the planting, right? He, he does it different now. He stays outside and tries to persecute. Kill them. What happens is they just grow more and more and more. Why? Because when you're planted, even in persecution, I got the rivers of my fruitfulness. And then if you want to read the, the New Testament deeper, the enemy goes back to say, I know how I robbed them the first time. I just went into the place where they were planted and hung out. And I became really subtle. So what I do now to destroy local church is I just go to church with you. Oh, y'all can sing all day long. I'll sing with you. Quote the Bible, I'll quote it too, just like I did to Jesus. But I'm going to sit right in the middle of you and deceive you. I'm going to sit right in the middle of you and give you subtle whispers. I'm going to keep you fleshly. I'm going to keep you lustful. I'm going to keep you sinful. I'm going to keep you talking about everybody else. I'm going to make you think your church is the best one in the town. I'm going to get you egotistical. I'm going to get you religious. As a matter of fact, I'm going to so deceive you that I'm going to let your church get up to four, five, six, seven thousand people. But I don't really care how many people come because if you'll just stay dirt with no anointing, no planting, and no power, I don't care. You're just dirt to me. But what happens when a group of 120 decide to plant themselves into the will of God and decide to say, let your spirit come upon my dirt. And the moment the spirit comes upon my dirt, we all together, planted as brothers and sisters in Christ, begin to take a step out into the streets and darkness begins to be dispelled and bodies begin to get healed and miracles begin to happen. 2,000 years removed, this thing called local church is so skewed today. We, we have people who are hurt, people who are abused, people who are homeless, people who don't have a home. They don't have anywhere to go. And the whole goal of local church is to give you a home on this planet where God can plant you so your life can become fruitful. It's not so I can control you. It's so God can make you fruitful. It's not so you can give me more money. It's so God can make your life fruitful. He wants to plant you. Not so I can get a better car, build a bigger building, go to the conferences and tell people how wonderful Believers is. He wants you planted because He wants you fruitful. Your children fruitful. Your grandchildren fruitful. He wants your life to be flowing out of a planting because when the wind blows you have to be planted. When the deception comes you have to be planted. When the immaturity comes you have to be planted. You have to have voices that can water you. Voices that can nurture you. Voices that can prune you. Voices that can chastise you so you can become a strong and fruitful vine of the Lord God Almighty. And the devil knows that. It's why he doesn't want you planting. He wants you to just have casual attendance at best. He wants you to just casually be involved. He doesn't want you to go too deep. He wants you to keep your options open. He doesn't mind if you plant one foot, but don't plant both. He doesn't mind if your root goes shallow enough to serve, but he doesn't want your root going so deep you become changed. 
He doesn't care if your toe goes deep and in that they let you be part of a serve team or let you on the stage to play music. He just doesn't want both feet in because he doesn't want your marriage revolutionized. He doesn't want your life to be turned upside down. So what we have today are a lot of Christians with one foot in the church calling themselves planted and the other foot in the freedom of their own self. In other words, they're not birthing Seth. They're just living back and forth between Cain and Abel. But my heart today, my heart today is to simply come to a place to where we say we want to be a generation of Seths. We want to be the generation that takes people to the kingdom of God. I want you to plant. I want you to be here every week. It's not to make my ego better. Yes, of course it's funner to teach when people are in the chairs. Last week, Ryan, by mistake, bless his heart, we still brought him on anyway. He erased all, I'm just going to tell on you a minute. By mistake, he erased all of the preaching. Uh, and so we didn't have any, any sermon. He erased it by my mistake. Or unless he might have just not liked the sermon, I don't know. I didn't really talk to him yet. But I had to come in here on Monday, and I, he said, well, what do you want to do, Pastor? I said, well, it was really good. He goes, it was good. I said, I guess I'll just re-preach it. I said, so why don't we just come on Monday, you set the camera up, and I'll just pretend like people are here. He said, okay. And man, Monday, we had church, didn't we? Man, I'm running around like, ah, ah, and not a soul in the room. <laughs> And then, then I said, I don't know how this is going to work. And I said, what? I said, because when I do this is my Bible, best shout, there's nobody here to shout. I love this man right here. He said, don't worry, Pastor, I'll edit it in. <laughs> I went and watched the video, and I heard, Wee! it literally sounded like we were in an Atlanta United game. It's like, <laughs> I was like, oh, Ryan, I love you. And there's not a soul in here but Ryan. And he was helping me out occasionally. He was like, come on, preacher. I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you this. That was fun. We laughed. Sure is a lot funner when you're here. Because see, after my message was over, there was nobody else to go to 50 feet and, and do it. See, if I preach to myself and Ryan, we got 100 feet covered. But if you all show up and you all hear the same thing we hear, we got more than 100 feet covered. We got several thousand feet covered. You say, why do I need to go weekly? Because I want you planted. Why do I want you planted? Because I want you fruitful. Why do I want you fruitful? Because God wants your dirt to go bring life to somebody else's dirt. That's why I want you planted. Because it's hard to be fruitful when you're not. And I would love, you know, I mean, I'm a shepherd. I try to figure it all out. Like, okay, to belong here, you got to go through five classes, jump through three hoops. And ah, man, I, I so struggle with that. Like, okay. Here's what I'll say. If you want to be here, welcome home. I love you. I will do my best as a shepherd to do one thing. Lead you to freedom. Teach you the Holy Spirit. And hopefully every week make you at least think differently than you used to think. To help you be a better, stronger, mightier man of God. Mightier woman of God. Your children bearing fruit. Your grandchildren bearing fruit. And maybe God will leave you here 30 years and keep your feet planted. But let me tell you how it works, just so you know. To move forward, if you ever want to leave, just ask. 
Because what I'll do as a good shepherd is I'll get a nice little shovel. I'll dig around the roots. I'll pick you up. And I'll say, now let's find out where the Lord wants you. And I'll walk you over the best I can as a father. Plant you in another church and pack the dirt around. And say, go be fruitful. The worst way to leave is to uproot yourself. The worst way to leave is bitter and mad. The worst way to leave is after a bad storm when you've been blown over. Plant your life. Because when you're planted, this thing called organized church 2,000 years later is not a denomination. It's a planting. It is is a fruitfulness. It is a, a place where breath breathes on dirt. So next time somebody says, why do we go to church? Why do we have local church? Why should I go on Sunday? Because I found my home. I no longer wander. I've put my feet in the dirt. And I'm now allowing God's Spirit to breathe on my dirt. Why are you letting His Spirit breathe on your dirt? Because the guy that's there leading us has told me that the reason I'm planted is so my branches can grow bigger. So I can have more fruit for more people to enjoy. Because I'm going to be a fruitful tree to my generation. And I'm not going to be rotten fruit. I'm going to be good fruit. And I'm just going to offer my 50 feet. My tree may not go to the other parts of the world. But if I'll stay planted long enough, I may actually reach 75 feet. I may actually reach 100. If I stay planted long enough, I might be a mighty oak. With lots and lots and lots of fruit. But believers, if you constantly get hurt, uproot yourself, come sporadically, don't hear the voice of the Spirit, you just end up being a weak weed. And it's hard to produce grapefruit. Stand up with me. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask Ryan to come on up. I'm sorry I went a little... Well, I'm not sorry I went long. I hope you got something. I hope you got something out of it. I'm going to pray... Yeah, give, give the Lord a shout of praise. He's worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Now do me a favor. Just put your hand over your heart. I'm going to pray for you. Then I'll turn it over to Ryan. He's got a few announcements for you. So, Father, right now in Jesus' name, I thank you for what we've heard today. I pray if there's anybody here hurt, abused, been disheveled with church, lost their hunger for the body, like Abel. I'm all about Jesus, but I don't know about his body. Like Cain, I know all the right things to say, but I have no power. Father, I pray today you would bring healing to this house. And I pray you would help me and the leaders of this house, the elders of this house, to grow a a proper body. That we would lead well. And we would lead people to freedom and not abuse or control. We would lead people to fruitfulness. Holy Spirit, come now into this room and breathe your breath on our dirt. Let us be fruitful people in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.